Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And uh, Merry Christmas. This is a unique time of the year and for the church, too, and also for me. Um, I've seen a lot of you here who I, I'm not quite familiar with, but you look like someone I am familiar with, which means that you're probably here with family. And so uh, welcome to GBF. And I uh, I don't know if you quite know what to expect, but Christmas service, Christmas Sunday here is, is in a lot of ways just like any other Sunday where we open up the same book and preach the same way. And so uh, it is tough. Uh, this has become a little bit of a tradition here where for the last three Christmases, I've been asked to come up here and preach. And uh, I'm glad I didn't do for the first one what the Bible says about Christmas, because uh, I realize I have about 10 more years to do that. And so I'm trying not to run out of verses here, but I did find one, and it is on your, uh, it is on your bulletin. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And so go ahead and turn there. And just for context, I am going to read, starting from verse 1 all the way to verse Seven. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, going through verse 7, and we'll be camping out for the message on verse 3 through 5. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son and of a son, then an heir through God. Join me one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we have here in this country uh, with the tranquility and the peace and the freedom that we have to celebrate Christmas Day, uh, to rejoice in Christ and to be public about it. And we do pray that your word would go forth, that Christ would be magnified, that we would see him and his work and his person for as he is, as you've designed us to see, and that our hearts would be lifted up in worship this morning. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, uh, to energize our uh, inner faculties, to be able to worship you in a way that pleases you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Christmas is the, I, I think without a doubt, I don't have to get into an argument with anybody here, that Christmas is one of the most, if not the most globally celebrated holiday in the world. And even growing up as a non-Christian family, I, I, I've, I've had to say Merry Christmas in three different languages, in three different parts of the globe, because it's celebrated everywhere. And I've had an interesting, I can kind of walk you through this, I've had an interesting relationship with the Christmas holiday season. I've always, at least for the most part, enjoyed it as a child, as a non-Christian. Uh, I love Christmas because for the same reason that every other child loves Christmas, it's the time where your wish list actually comes true. And so for me, it was in one of two times of the year, um, your birthday and on Christmas, and if you were extra good for another part of the year. But that's when you got what you wanted, and I enjoyed it. And as a college student, things got a little more interesting. Christmas break was almost a shock because I, college was tough for me uh, academically, and I worked as hard as I could just to stay above the water. 
Uh, in finals weeks, we're studying between 60 to 75 hours just for one week. And when Christmas break hit, it was just a big shock to the system. And I spent the first couple of days sick. But And then after a while, you just go crazy because you're out of your system. That was as a college student. And then after that, um, I started working as as a, an athletic personal trainer at a gym. And then Christmas became dangerous because this is the time of the year that your clients and yourself are going to be eating everything that you told them not to eat for the whole year. Um, and so you wonder what everyone's going to look like when you come back, which might give you more business, but it might also backtrack things as well. And then as a young father, as a young husband, uh, Christmas at some point got irritating because it meant traveling. And a lot of times it was by car. And I don't like to travel. I don't like driving. I don't like cars. And I also sometimes don't like family. And all of those things got combined during Christmas break, um, which we're doing, by the way, today, um, except we're flying all the way across, all the way, not just across the country, you're flying all the way across the globe uh, to go see my father, who I haven't seen in two and a half years. But, and then most importantly now, as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, as a minister of God's word, um, I started to wonder where in the Bible it actually says to celebrate Christmas Day as a festivity and how to do it. Um, and so got through seminary, started looking through the Bible. I invite you to turn to the passage that talks about where, what the Bible says about how we ought to and when we ought to celebrate Christmas. Uh, for one, I don't think the word December is in the Bible. I've looked in English and Greek, and it's not there. I've looked in Tagalog, too. It's not there either. So um, Romans 14, okay, verses 4 through 5 says that one person regards one day above another. So certain people in the world think that Christmas is the holiest day in the year. It's the time where people who don't go to church go to church, right, outside of Easter. Um, and for a lot of us, it's a special time to celebrate Christ's birth and but another treats every day alike. Some people don't celebrate Christmas in a way that's any different. December 25th is just like June 5th for them. And let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And so I've come to the conclusion, and if I'm wrong, you can correct me and I'll change my mind. But as of today, I've come to the conclusion that there is nowhere in the Bible that says that we ought to celebrate in the way we do, in the time that we do, Christmas Day. So... I mean, I, I could choose to celebrate or to preach on what the Bible says about anything on Christmas Day, and you can't come up here and tell me that I shouldn't do that. And I can also choose to, in June, actually preach through the Christmas story, and that wouldn't be a bad thing. I can preach on Christmas in June or in July or in August or any other time of the year. So we don't have to, by mandate as a church, celebrate in a particular way with particular colors and with particular types of sugar Christmas Day on December 25th uh, or December 23rd for that matter. So, um, but just like Romans 14 says down the line, whatever we do, we do for the Lord. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. If we live or die and everything in between, including celebrating Christmas and coming to Christmas service, we do for the Lord. So in other words, if we are going to celebrate Christmas Day, and by the way, the celebration, the festivity of Christmas is not in the Bible, but the day that Christmas celebrates is. 
And if we are to celebrate Christmas Day, uh, we are supposed to do it recognizing, as Sam Kim had just mentioned right before the scripture reading, the significance of Christmas and therefore give God the glory that is due because of what actually happened on Christmas Day. And we know that it's not quite that, not just here, but everywhere else. Uh, for the most part, for the most part, from a heart level, from a theological level, people aren't really aware of what the significance of Christmas Day actually is. So Christmas is not only the most celebrated day, it's one of the most commercialized holidays in the world. And the last time I checked on Martin Luther King Day, they weren't selling Martin Luther King chocolates. Because they recognized the gravity of Martin Luther King Day, I don't think, at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, on the Passover, Jewish stores commercialize the Passover. They have other ways to celebrate it, but they don't commercialize it. And the last time I looked, there actually is a, by the way, look after, don't look right now because you're not supposed to be on your phones right now, but look afterwards, there is a Star Wars nativity set. That's where, that's where we've gone as a country, where Jesus and Chewbacca are in the same thing. Um, and I like Star Wars, and I love the Bible. I don't think the two are meant to go together. There's also a Bengali uh, nat- nativity set with a Bengal tiger instead of a sheep right next to Jesus. Uh, it's all there. You can check it. We've missed the significance of Christmas, and a lot of it is because we're not fully, at least, in tune with what exactly the Bible says about Christmas Day. And so here's my question. Here's your question. Think about this, and I'm supposed to answer it. If I don't answer it by the end of the service, then stay here for another hour and we'll do it again. Why is the birth of Jesus Christ so significant? And why is it then, even though it's not necessarily explicitly commanded in the Bible, why is it principally, practically appropriate to celebrate Christmas Day The way we do. And so we're supposed to, you're supposed to understand why Christ coming into the world is as significant as it is not just in your personal life, not just in your family's life, but in the context of, as was just mentioned, world history. And maybe then, maybe then from a heart level, you'll celebrate Christmas the way it ought to be with the gravity, with the seriousness, with the joy and the festivity that you ought to because you recognize what actually happened. And so... In 2016, uh, I had the privilege of preaching on the narrative of Christmas Day where we walked through uh, Luke 2, chapters or chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and I just walked through the story. In 2017, had the opportunity to preach on what took place behind the scenes on Christmas Day where Christ, although he is fully God, didn't consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped but emptied himself and found himself in the form of a bondservant taking the form of a man and then humbled himself Later on, and today, this is about the significance of Christmas Day, not only in the context of your life, but in the context of the greater world history. And, and you know, quite, quite frankly, um, I'm, I'm tired of the, the super fluffy Christmas devotionals. You can drizzle over marshmallows. So I, I'm going to preach. I prepared a sermon. I'm going to preach. If you're not ready for that, then get ready for it because you're going to be here for more than two minutes. Um, and we're going to talk about the significance of Christmas Day. And to understand the significance, uh, there are three things, three realities, three truths about humanity's relationship to Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes, you don't have to take notes. Um, I didn't put an outline on the bulletin, but if, if, if you're the type that needs a three-point outline, I have one for you. Um, 
the three realities about humanity in terms of how humans relate to Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ means for humanity that you need to understand. So three of them. The first one is found in verse 3 of chapter 4 in Galatians. So go back there, and it's this. Understand, recognize the state of humanity apart from Jesus Christ. That's the state of humanity apart from Jesus Christ. So what exactly is the condition of the world? What is the reality that we understand that the Bible says the world is in apart from Jesus Christ? The state of humanity apart from Christ. And it's in verse 3. Paul says, so we, so also we, we, who's we? Everybody, we, Jew, Gentile alike, includes the Americans, includes the Polish, includes the Germans, the Africans, the Filipinos, the Chinese, the everything. We, so also we, what about us? What reality do we ought to understand before we respond to Christ the way we ought to and celebrate Christmas the way we should? Before we respond, we recognize something that's true about us. If you're a Christian, it's something that was true about you before you came to know Christ. If you're a non-Christian, it's something that's true about you today. And it's true about the world today because the world largely does not worship Jesus Christ. We, while we were children. So the world has a bunch of children. And I don't just mean people under the age of 13 or in America under 18. The world is largely filled with children. Now, when the Bible talks about children, a lot of times it's in a positive sense, right? The innocence from sin or the humility or sometimes not in necessarily a sinful way, but just the fact that as a Christian, you start off as a child in the faith and then you mature. So being a child can sometimes mean you're innocent. You're innocent of the faith. You're humble. It can also mean you're immature Except in this case, it's talking about none of those. It says, while we were children. Okay, now go up a couple verses where Paul says, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. So in other words, if you have a child in the home, even though technically the child is the heir of everything in that home, he has no authority to access it or use it as he pleases. As a child, by law, you are under the guardianship of either your parents or somebody else at every period of time, including when you're in school. I have to explain that to these school kids when I was there, that by law, you are required to be in school when your parents are not with you and you're actually under our authority as teachers. So you don't have a choice. If you don't like what we tell you to do, that's too bad. Um, and uh, there are a lot of stories that come with just being a school teacher. And, and one of my favorite ones, this actually happened, and uh, I was part of it because I was a teacher and there was a student in front of me. And, uh, and I said, can you please do your work? And he said, he was, I think, no more than 11 years old. And he said, I can do my work. And I said, oh, I get it, I get it. You're saying you can do it, but you want me to ask you if you may do it. And he said, Exactly. And I looked at him and I said, do your work. Um, you don't have a choice because right now you're, you're in a democracy outside of here until you get into the classroom. And I'm the boss and you're not. So go do your work. And he smiled and did his work. And so facetiously enough, but as a child, right? And what Paul's talking about here is back then and 
In other countries, it's still this way. As a child, you grow up under the guardianship, not just of your parents, but guardians and tutors and people in the home, domestic workers, who, although you are the heir of all things and they're not, including the slaves, as a child, because of your age, until the date set by your father where you become an adult, you don't have the freedom that your father does. You, in a lot of ways, are not only just like a slave, but you're below them because you actually have to listen to them. So when Paul says we are like children, the world is like children, in other words, there's something that there's an authority, there's an access, there's a blessing, there's an inability to access those things that's characteristic about you. You're under bondage, under the ruling of someone that shouldn't be there permanently, but you are. So now I grew up in a household with with domestic workers uh, back in Asia, because it's custom to do that, whatever class you were in. And this is still, we talk about this in our family, this is still one of the most tragic stories uh, in our quote-unquote family history growing up when I got our nanny for 12 years fired. And here's what happened. The day came where I came home from school, and uh, I don't know if you can tell, maybe you can tell, I was as a squirrel turned human. I was squirrely, right? And I was in the playroom, and she came in. This has been a nanny who had been with us since before I was born, about nine years old in first grade. And she said, can you please take off your socks? Because she was going to go put them in the laundry, and I was supposed to get changed uh, into my pajamas. And I said, no. And so I started wiggling, and she started trying to take the socks off of my feet. And... By accident, it was by accident. My sisters say it was on purpose. I say it was by accident. I kicked her in the face. She grabbed her face and without thinking, whacked me. And I didn't think much about it, but grapevine, through the grapevine, it reached my parents. And that was a tragic day. In a couple days, there she was. She was gone. Two things happened that weren't supposed to have happened. Number one, as a slave, you never mistreat your owner's children. As a domestic worker, you don't mistreat your employer's children. But also, as a child, I should have listened to what she said because she did have, even though I was a child, she did have authority over me. Although we are heirs, right, as people without Christ, the world without Christ is a bunch of children. And what does that mean? It means that we are in bondage. Keep going there. Here we go. While we were children, we were held in bondage, so we're enslaved. We're not free under the elemental things of the world, elementary school, elemental things, the rudimentary things, the initial instructions. And what this means is Colossians 2.8 says this, see that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. He says again in verse 20, if you have died with Christ and to the elementary principles of the world, what are the elemental things of the world? It's this. It's any system of teaching, including the Mosaic law, which in the context is this. It's any system of teaching in the world on morality or ethics or sin and righteousness that is void of Christ and the gospel. It's as simple as that. I'll say it again. 
the elemental things of the world that the rest of the world is now in bondage to, is any teaching on morality or ethics, sin and righteousness that is void of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Because the world is very, very good in its teaching. Any system of teaching, whether it's Jewish law or pagan ritualism, the world is good at exposing sin. What the world cannot do, and any teaching from this world, what the world can't do is actually deal with it. Now, what Paul was saying here is if you were a Jew, you have the Old Testament Mosaic Law, which reveals your sin to you and is a tutor. It shows you how you've failed, but it cannot save you from the punishment of your failures. The Gentiles don't have the written law, but they have it in their hearts. And from that heart, right, from that conscience, from that understanding of what's right and what's wrong has bloomed every system every world system of religion that we know. So all human beings are aware till this day, whether uneducated or educated, that we live in a world of sin. And there is no system of teaching in this world outside of Christ that can actually deal with it. That's like when people ask, um, wouldn't you ever want to be a baby again? So you can sleep like a baby and not have to worry about anything else? And my answer is absolutely not. Because I don't want to be in a position where I'm helpless, okay? If I'm a baby, I can't eat the food in the pantry that my parents do. If I'm a baby, I can't drink coffee, which is a nightmare, by the way. I already have my two cups today. If I'm a baby, I can't go on a bike. And even if I do, I have to wear a helmet, which I I guess you're supposed to. But if I'm a baby, I don't have the freedom or the ability to access any of the blessings outside of my binky, right? They do work. They, they work, by the way. As a child, outside of Christ, without Christ, you have no access to the fullness of what God has prepared for you in terms of heavenly blessings. And you are in bondage to the way the world actually is, and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, as over the years, this has been one of the most interesting and also one of the most difficult things to do is uh, I've worked with a lot of young people, not by choice, but just by just by the way things have developed, both as first as a tutor and then as a coach and then as a school teacher and then as a youth pastor. And when you work with a lot of young people who are transitioning from boyhood to manhood or girlhood to womanhood, and you watch them grow in their capabilities and also in their awareness of the world, they start to become more aware about what's going on. They start to become more aware about you, about them. They start to become more aware about what their parents do for a living. They become more aware about what the school's all about. They become more aware about what's going on in the world. And they start to come to conclusions and evaluations about things. And what's very, very difficult to watch, especially if you're dealing with a non-Christian youth, is to watch someone in their youth come to the correct conclusion, and it, it is a correct conclusion, that the world that they live in is messed up. And then they look at you and they say, I hate my life and my family's life and everyone around me is so messed up and you know it and I know it and there are nothing I can do about it.
And if they're a non-Christian, you have to bite your tongue from actually saying, you're absolutely right. Because without Christ, this is the truth. The world is a messed up place. And if you're not convinced, then you go read the news or watch the news or listen to the news. And tell me the world's not a messed up place because of that. And if you're not convinced, then go walk around the city, both the suburbs and the inner city, and just watch. And you'll realize that the only safe place to go is a place without people. And the mountain lions are there ready to eat you, right? So, and if you're not convinced, then then go to the family reunion that you're about to go to. And go interact with all those family members who you really, really like, right? Who you're looking forward to seeing this whole break. And if you're not convinced, then go look at the mirror and look at yourself and look at the person you've turned out to be and tell me that you see someone who has failed. For global humanity... Life is, as the Bible says it, slavery. And we, apart from Christ, have absolutely no answers as to how to deal with the punishment of sin and the presence of it in this world. So not only are we in sin, but we're trapped. And you're going to find answers from nowhere, not from school, not from sports, not from universities, not from psychology, not from therapy, not from politics, not from government, not from religion, not from self-help, not from chicken soup from the soul, not from community, not from family, not from charity, and definitely not from money, and definitely not from your own heart. And you, you, you know, you know deep down that life is tiring. You've gotten to the end of the year and you looked at everything that's gone on and how much you've had to fight against not just your own sin, but the sin you see in this world that keeps you and other people in bondage. And you're here and you're thinking, this was an exhausting year. And how am I supposed to do this again next year? Why, why do you think Old Testament prophets who didn't have Christ so many of them, in the midst of or after their ministry, looked at God and said, take my life. It's not because of chocolate truffles, right? Um, it's because life is tiring because sin is exhausting to deal with. And we are stuck in sin and we can't fix it. And we're stuck in a world that's ridden with guilt and you can't erase it. And we're stuck in futility. It's a rat wheel and you can't escape it in and of yourself, and nothing that the world has in any form of teaching or religion can get you out of it. So yes, the young person who says, life is messed up, is absolutely right. And don't you dare tell him that he's wrong. Because the Bible says that without Christ, we were children held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. The only thing that the world can do is expose the sin that cannot be dealt with apart from Christ. That's the reality of the world we live in apart from Christ. That is the state of humanity. That's the state of the family. That's the state of a person without Christ. Second, is the shift of human history at the arrival of Christ. The shift of human history at the arrival of Christ. Look at verse 4. But, 
when, but when, I love it when the Bible says bad news and then says but, right? This is the best conjunction in the Bible. It's when there's bad news followed by a but when, but when what? What happened? The fullness of time came. In other words, the period or event that every other event was leading to for which every other event exists. When the fullness of time came, the event that everything was being orchestrated to produce. Now, as a child uh, and as as a high school student and as a college student, um, I was much better at math and science than I was in history. I absolutely hated history. U.S. history, European history, I even took art history, and that was the worst, and um, somehow managed to pass the AP test and got out of my fine arts requirement in college. But I didn't understand the significance of history until later in pastoral ministry, and I've learned three different things. This is a short history lesson for you. There are a few things to remember about world history, and that includes which you're a part of, by the way, because you are a part of human society. A couple of things to remember, or three things to remember. Number one, every event is foreordained. There are no accidents. God and his sovereign decree has planned for every event to happen the way it has, the way it's happening, and the way it will. The good, the bad, the pretty, the ugly, the tragic, the happy. Every event is foreordained. Number two, some events are more significant than others. Some events are more significant than others. Some events are the Everests. Others are the valleys. Others are the sea level ones. Some events are more significant than others. And this is one of them. And number three, and this is this is where you start to appreciate things. All events are connected and directed. World history is not a collection of arbitrary events that have nothing to do with each other. There are a series of events that are integrated, that are put together, and that lead to certain things. And so when God looked at sin, God wasn't panicking in heaven thinking, what am I going to do? For 4,000 years, God was orchestrating world history for something, preparing the world for something. And then it says, in the fullness of time, which is, by the way, the day we celebrate as Christmas Day, in the fullness of time, God sent forth. God acted, God intercepted in a big way in human history. Now, what's he going to do? In the Bible, when God sends things, it's not always a good thing for for us. When God sent angels to destroy armies, not a good thing for us. When God sent the flood to destroy all human beings, except for eight people for 375 days, not a good thing. When God sent fire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, not a good thing for us. When God sent prophets to warn, should have been a good thing, but it wasn't for Israel. And so what is God going to do now in the fullness of time? Is God going to destroy or what's God going to do? And it says God sent forth and he sent a person into the world, not of the world, but to change the world, to turn history upside down. God sent forth his son. God does have a son and he did send him for God. So loved the world, the love of God showed itself on this day when he sent his only begotten son, the one who, when he looked at from heaven, when he was being baptized, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he said it again in the transfiguration. God has a son, eternally the son, God himself, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were made, and apart from Him nothing came into being. And in the fullness of time, on what we celebrate on December 25th, but maybe actually happened in March, I don't know, God sent His Son into the world on what we call Christmas Day. And He says, so what about this Son? He was born of a woman. In other words... Jesus didn't get a free pass to adulthood. He wasn't born 18. Just like every, I know something about every single person in this room, by the way. You were all born out of a woman. Everyone here has a mother. Whether you know her or not, you all came out of a woman. Jesus was no different. 1 Corinthians eleven twelve, right? As For as the woman originated from the man, so also the man has his birth through woman. Not only was the word with God and God himself, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us on Christmas Day. God's Son came in the same way that we came into the world. And then it says, this is, this is what's interesting, not just born of a woman, but under the law. The same requirements and moral ethical standards that God had for his people was placed on the shoulders of Jesus himself. And Jesus would have to deal with those requirements in the exact same way that we had to. We failed, and he didn't. So for Christ, the difference was this. He was born under the law, but unlike us, of whom, when we look at the law, our sin is exposed. When Christ is before the law, his perfection is exposed. Jesus didn't get a free pass. To humanity. He was born of a woman, held to the same requirements, and he would have to deal with temptation the same way that we would. Now, when you think about the significance of the birth of Christ, I mean, if you're a parent, right, just think about the significance of the birth of your firstborn. And you know, you know everything has changed from that day forth. In our family, there are two periods that exist. There was the BJ and the AJ right? The before Jaden, who's right there, by the way, right? And the after. So the last eight years look nothing like the first, what was it, a year and a half did, right? Because everything changes. Your free time changes, right? It actually just goes out of existence, right? Your work changes. The sleep schedule changes, right? The family schedule changes. Recreation changes. Oh, wow, Legoland. I've actually never been to Legoland, but that's what all the families do that have kids, right? Furniture changes, right? Everything goes from looking really coordinated to primary colors. Everything changes. Recreation changes. Everything changes. Family life changes. Before the child and after the child, the same thing in the context of world history. And think about this. For the first 4,000 years, God looked at the world with wrath, and he still does. There was no answer. There was no good news to be shared for the first 4,000 years. Israel was not called to go around from one nation to another sharing the good news. These last 2,000 years, all of a sudden, God has told his people, go into every nation and preach forgiveness of sins. Go to all the nations and make disciples of Christ. Go to all the nations and preach the good news. So what changed? Why did it go from a no good news world to all of a sudden preach the good news everywhere? It's because of a short 33-year period that you know as the life of Jesus Christ that was ushered by the birth of Christ 
which is what we celebrate as Christmas Day. That, that short period turned the world upside down. And from that point on, the Gentile world that had strayed from God, that was living in darkness, would be able to relate to God with knowledge in a different way. And the world was not worthy of Christ. When you think about it, John the Baptist said, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's quoting from Isaiah. And he said, the one who's coming, who has arrived, is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. Do you understand who you're dealing with when you see Jesus Christ? And yet he came as one of us in human flesh. He experienced every stage of the human life cycle, and yet he did what none of us would do, which was he met Every, even though he was under the law, met every single requirement that God requires of a man. And he did it perfectly, without blemish, flawless. And though we say, hey, I sinned because I'm human, Jesus was human and never sinned. And he didn't cheat, by the way. He didn't cheat. In Hebrews 2.17, it says he had to be made like his brethren in all things, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and high priest to his people. He was burdened by the same requirements as you and I were. He he was in the same flesh and blood that you and I were, subject to the same laws of physiology, had the same emotions that we did, that we do. He dealt with the same kind of people that we did. He faced the same temptations as you and I do, and he had to fight those temptations the same way, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. So you look at Jesus in the desert, Adam and Eve failed. Here's Jesus in the desert, and you're looking at him deal with Satan's temptation. And Jesus could have said, Satan, you're out, and there he goes. But Jesus didn't. He let himself be tempted, and he resisted through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, which he kept in his heart, which is the same thing that we're supposed to do that we don't always do. Jesus had no shortcuts. Jesus had more hardship. We live in a sinful world, but you look at Jesus Christ, and you see a sinless man. That is the shift of world history at the coming, at the arrival of Jesus Christ. That turned world history upside down. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Because the world has not been the same since Jesus came. And we have a hope that people didn't before Jesus came. And what is that hope? He came. So what did Jesus do when he actually came? Did he come to show off or did he come to set free? It says he came born of a woman born under the law, and verse 5, this is your point number 3, the salvation or the redemption of humanity accomplished through Christ for all those who believe. The salvation of humanity, of God's people, accomplished through Christ. So that he, in verse 5, that he might redeem. We were in bondage. We were enslaved. We don't have the freedom that we ought to, but Jesus came not to show off but to set free. He came to free us. He came to redeem those who are under the law, that is every single human being who exists in this planet, who either lived by the written law or was burdened by the law in their heart, that we might receive the adoption as sons. As sons of God, we're no longer slaves, and as sons, we are now heirs to the world. The Bible is, as a whole, 
and every part in it is the story of redemption. Why do we preach the Bible? Why do you share the gospel? Why do you open the Bible and read it and find hope in it? It's because the Bible is a book of redemption. In the Bible, you see what God did as he intercepted human history and set free those who were under bondage, those who were under the punishment of sin and couldn't escape the guilt or the eternal punishment that they deserved. The Bible is a book of redemption. And why is that important? Because you know that you naturally long for freedom from sin and its consequences as you look around. No one looks at this world and thinks, after you look at it carefully, no one looks at this world and thinks, I like what I see. We love sin in our hearts because we're in sinful flesh. At the same time, in the same way that there is a natural sinful desire for what's wrong, you have a natural longing to be freed from sin's punishment, from sin's presence, and from sin's power. You want sin to be dealt with. In your life, in your family's life, and in the world. And so what is the greatest news that the world has? It's that, it's what First Timothy 1 says. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Because he lived the life that you couldn't live, met every single one of God's requirements to the point where when God looked at Christ, he wasn't wrathful. He said, this is my beloved son who in whom I am well pleased without a blemish, no deceit, no sin was found in his mouth. And yet he died the death that you should have died so that you could receive the blessings that God has prepared for all who believe in Christ for salvation. The law and every system of teaching that we're in exposes sin, but Jesus dealt with it. Jesus is not just, you hear it. Jesus is the reason for the season. And it's a cliche. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He is the answer to the world. And so what is it that you gain from Christ? Yes, there is suffering. Yes, you're called to fight. You're a soldier. Yes, you might lose your life in this world. What do you gain from Christ? You gain freedom. Freedom from the punishment of sin as you're justified, you're freed from the power of sin by which you were enslaved, and you're, you will one day be freed from the presence of sin that has messed up this world. And to whom is this freedom available to? If only the rest of the world knew who and what they were celebrating, because this freedom... And this redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ is made available to every person from every nation and every tribe and tongue and people group and every demographic. So everyone in this room qualifies. That is the significance of Christmas Day. Apart from Christ, the world is enslaved and the world will die. Because of Christ, 
world history is no longer the same. And through him, freedom from sin, freedom from the burden of sin that you deal with every day and that you see every day rot this world is actually possible. And not only possible, but accomplished and promised to everyone who believes. And so we sing on Christmas Day, joy to the world that the Lord has come because he has come. It is a joyous thing that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So let the earth, this wretched, enslaved, and corrupted, and sinful world, futile world, let the earth receive her king because Jesus is the king. And because he came in the fullness of time, it's time for everybody to prepare for him. Let every heart prepare him room in the fullness of time. Jesus came. The world was waiting for it. He came. Let your hearts receive him the way it should and let heaven and nature sing. Why? Because the Son of God came down to the earth and saved sinners and the angels are longing and looking and saying, that never happened to us, but it happened to them. Let heaven and nature sing. Heaven is rejoicing as sinners are redeemed and promised salvation that they don't deserve, but they have because the love of God has been demonstrated to all people. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and heaven and all those heavenly hosts who are up there singing fiery creatures, wings covering their eyes, wings covering their feet, singing over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Let the earth be filled with his glory. Let the angels sing that God has made a way for you and I to be saved and we will be saved because the work of Jesus Christ has been accomplished. It is finished. The rest is history. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas Day. We thank you for what happened on Christmas Day. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the gift to all of us for the redemption that was accomplished through his work, for his life, for his death. It's, it's just, it strikes us to the heart when we understand what he did. And we thank you that we qualify for salvation if we believe in him, that we were not left out and that we can experience freedom from everything that this world uh, has kept us in bondage to. And we pray that as we celebrate Christmas Day, that we wouldn't make light of it, but that the birth of Christ and what it did for the world and what it did for us would be honored and let our hearts rejoice as heaven and nature sings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.